0: got a couple of quick announcements, two quick things I want to talk about, and then we'll jump into the Word together this morning. The first announcement is that next Sunday, we are going to be in person. We're very excited to gather together for an outdoor worship service. Please join us at the Lord's Chapel. Our start time is going to be a little bit different. We're going to start at 9.30, um, try to beat the heat a little bit, and have about an hour-long service or so mostly focused on worship and prayer. Um, We'll have the opportunity to take communion together as a church family. And so we're really hoping and believing you guys can join us that morning. It'll be easy for us to spread out to social distance. We'll be outdoors and we can worship God together. Um, Check out our e-bulletin this week or our website. We'll have all the information you need, where to to meet us, what to bring, all that sort of stuff. Um, But we're excited to worship together with you guys. We hope you can make it out for that. Um, We will not be able to live stream that service. And so next Sunday morning, if you go online, like you're watching right now, maybe, um, the service will not be streaming live. Our plan is to record it. And so we're going to work out all the technical details for that this week. Our plan is to record it and we'll post the sermon and the the worship and all of that at a later time. So we love you guys. Hope you'll join us for that. All right. Secondly, and this is really where the sermon is going to be going this morning, Um, But I want to encourage you guys, we have been reading through the Bible together this year. And tomorrow on Monday morning, we finish the Old Testament by reading the book of Malachi. Now, if you've been hanging in there and you've been faithfully reading along, you're probably like me, you're ready to jump into the New Testament. You're excited to spend some time looking at the life of Jesus and the birth of the church. I'm so ready for that. But I just want to say to all of us, this week is a great entry point. If you maybe never started the Bible reading with us, um, jump in now and let's finish the year strong. You can read through the entire New Testament with us as a church. Our sermons will be focused on that. It's a great opportunity to grow um, in our knowledge of Jesus, in our relationship with Him, and to gain um, wisdom and strength. As we learn to persevere individually in our walk with Christ, yes, but the gospel encapsulates more than just our individual relationship with Him. We're now a part of the family of God. And we are also now a part of a mission that God has to reach the entire world. And so let's learn about how to do that together. So I wanna encourage you, jump in, Let's all read the New Testament together and see what God might do in our lives individually and in our church as a whole. Um, There's a couple great resources for you guys to do that. We send out a weekly email on Monday mornings. It gives you the Bible reading plan for the week. It also includes a link to the Bible Project's video overviews. They do these great overview videos. They're like seven to ten minutes. And they kind of let you in on what each book of the Bible is about. Um, gives you kind of the outline and the structure. It's just a great way to understand what you're going to be reading. That's a great resource to help you guys. Also, our church wants to gift you with the, with the Bible app called Dwell. Um, normally you have to pay for this app, but we've signed up and, and kind of purchased a bunch of subscriptions. And so you guys for free can download this app. There's a link to it. Um, on our website or in the email I mentioned already. And it's an, it enables you to listen to the Word of God. You can pick different translations of the Bible. You can hear um, different voices reading to you. And you can even choose if you'd like to have some instrumental background. You know, if you want a little piano in the background or guitar or something like that. It's a great way to just immerse ourselves in the Word of God. You know, maybe listen to it on a drive to work or sipping your coffee in the morning or something like that. Listen, friends, whatever you need, whatever resources you need, they are available to you. Let's jump in, let's immerse ourselves in the Word of God, and let's watch Jesus come alive in our lives, in our hearts. Amen? All right, well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this this morning. We will talk a bit this morning. We'll reference a couple of passages that we read during the week this past week. But really, the point of this morning's message is to kind of recap where we've been through the entire Old Testament, make sure we're understanding kind of the big picture, what we're supposed to grab from this, and then we're going to look ahead to what's coming as we dive into the New Testament Scriptures. And so my hope is that we would just have um, this clear vision of the, the power and the importance of the Old Testament and the fact that it is all about Jesus It's highlighting our need for Him, and it reveals Him to us in a lot of special ways. And then as we look at His life specifically in the Gospels in the coming weeks, man, I just pray our vision will be filled that much more with who Jesus is and His great love for us. So let's pray, let's prepare our hearts, and then let's dive into God's Word together. All right, friends? Here we go. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness, Your great love for us, Lord, we thank you for your written word um, that was written for our instruction, for our benefit. God, so that we could know who you are. Lord, that we could understand who we are, who you've made us to be. Our great need for you to come and redeem our lives and bring us into right relationship with you. God, so that we can be the people you've made us to be, so that we can enjoy fellowship with you God, the ability to worship you with our lives—it's what we were truly made for. And God, I thank you that you place us in a family, God, in your family, and so we learn that we have one another, that we can both kind of rely on and learn from each other, and we can also support and encourage each other as we are an essential part of your family. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we spend some time, kind of looking back at at the Old Testament scripture all these faithful people who walked with you, um, imperfect though they were, um, God, that, that we would have a clear vision of who you are and what you're up to. And Jesus, that we could see you a little more clearly today and that we'd be filled with faith to trust you, to walk with you, and to live lives empowered by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I want to start by looking back and just talking about the importance of the Old Testament. Now, there's no way we can capture the full weight and significance of it in a few short minutes here together. uh, But there's a couple of things I do want to highlight about the importance of the Old Testament, all right? First of all, really simply put, the Old Testament is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's what He wants to say to us It's a vehicle for us to understand capital T truth, not just our perspective or someone's opinion or maybe some good ideas, or perhaps there's some good stuff in there, but then maybe some stuff that's not so good. No, no, no. Listen, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but talking specifically about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the Word of God. It's reliable, it's trustworthy, it speaks truth to us. It tells us about who God is and who we are. It tells us about this world, what's good about it, what's broken in this world, and what God wants to do about it. And so this book is God's word. Um, Jesus himself validated the significance of the Old Testament. He viewed it as the unique word of God and he viewed, viewed it as authoritative. He he saw it as powerful and as revealing who God is and what He has to say. And so Jesus used it in a variety of ways. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. I might encourage you to check out my notes. There's a lot of scriptures in here that um, you can see where Jesus was talking about the Old Testament in light of it being the very Word of God. Um, Much of this we covered in our kickoff, actually, back in January, kind of seeing the significance of the Bible. Um, Jesus used titles for the Old Testament um, to show its authenticity. He called it the Word of God, Scripture, the commandment of God. Um, Jesus accepted the people and the events mentioned in the Old Testament, and He viewed them as historical facts. Um, Listen, some of the most fantastical, hardest-to-believe stories in the Old Testament, Jesus Himself validated. He talks about Adam and Eve. He talks about Noah in the flood. He even mentions Jonah, who was swallowed by that great fish. And so Jesus validated and accepted persons and events in the Old Testament. Um, And probably one of the most powerful examples of how Jesus viewed the Old Testament as the Word of God is that he used it as conclusive evidence when he was in conversation with his critics. And so he would quote it in a variety of places. And ultimately, he used it as the ultimate authority to refute Satan's temptations when he was in the wilderness. Jesus viewed the Word of God um, as authoritative. And so, friends, I, I hope and believe that for each of us, we would view it that way. You know, it's become very common in our modern culture. I'm not even just talking outside of Christian circles. I'm talking about within the church to to view the Old Testament very differently than Jesus viewed it. And we start turning it into just a book of metaphors and allegories and and just kind of this old document that was sort of a, a rough view of God and that we've progressed kind of past it or beyond it. That is not how Jesus viewed the Old Testament. He viewed it as authoritative. He viewed it as something that would be upheld. In fact, he said himself, not one jot, not one tittle uh, will, will go unfulfilled in the law. He believed the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures to be the Word of God, and we should too. One of the reasons we can view it as reliable is because, man, the Old Testament accurately predicted future events. We had some examples of that in our reading this week. Nahum Nahum accurately predicted the fall of Assyria, Israel's enemy. In fact, Jonah had warned them. That's what our sermon last Sunday was about. He had warned Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And so for a period of time, they had repented and turned from their wicked ways, and God relented. But but later he said, listen, you've continued historically to be wicked and to antagonize my people. And so through Nahum... um, The fall of Assyria at the hands of Babylon was accurately predicted. Zephaniah as well in our reading this week, he predicted the fall of Jerusalem, the people of Judah to the hands of Babylon, and we know that that happened. Um, And then in past reading, another example, Jeremiah, he predicted the length of how long Judah would be in captivity to Babylon for 70 years, and he was right on. Seventy years later, they were released to go back to Jerusalem and begin to reestablish themselves as a nation. And so all of these things are pictures of Old Testament predictions that came about to be true. As we'll see later in the sermon, um, there are Old Testament predictions about Jesus that we're going to get to watch and discover as He fulfilled those predictions in the New Testament. And so the Old Testament is the Word of God. It's reliable. And why that's important is that the Old Testament reveals the nature of God. The Old Testament reveals the nature of God. He's an unchanging God. Here's a really cool example of it found early on in the Old Testament when God reveals His character to Moses. Check this out, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Early on, God reveals himself to Moses. He reveals his character as a God who's faithful, who's loving, who's merciful and gracious, but who is a God of justice. And Malachi tells us, we're going to read this tomorrow in our, in our Monday reading, Malachi 3.6, "'For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed.'" God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament isn't this imperfect picture of God who's just angry and judgmental, and then Jesus shows up to set the record straight. It's not the case at all. The God revealed in the Old Testament is the same God that Jesus is highlighting, highlighting and saying, this is my good and loving Father, and I, His Son, am the perfect reflection of, Of the Father. Jesus was merciful, gracious, abounding in love, slow to anger. But That didn't mean He had no anger. As we'll see, He goes into the temple and starts flipping over the tables because He's angry at some of the injustice He sees there. Also, we're going to see as we move into the New Testament that as Jesus lays out the love and grace and mercy of God, that He makes it very clear that a day of judgment and justice is still coming and that He's going to participate in bringing about that day of justice. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that is revealed in the Old Testament is further highlighted and seen through the love of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, why why am I making such a big deal about this? Friends, one of the things we have to be aware of as followers of Jesus today is that there is this growing theme that, If we look at the Old Testament, we should realize that we've progressed beyond it. In fact, it was just sort of Israel's journey trying to figure out and discover who God was, and that Jesus was somehow in contrast to that, and that He kind of is now the ultimate picture of God. That is a misrepresentation of the Old Testament. God is seen clearly throughout the Old and the New Testament as the same. Another reason why that's dangerous, you might say, Jake, why does that matter? You know, we live in New Testament times. We're the church. We have Jesus. Why do we need to look back at the Old Testament? Well, if we, if we undermine and change and sort of devalue the Old Testament as the Word of God, we move into the next phase of what's happening in a lot of circles, unfortunately, where now the New Testament, we begin to say, we've progressed beyond that. Things that Paul wrote about and talked about. We've moved beyond those things. He was unaware of kind of our modern, current, cultural moment. And that simply isn't true either. Paul was fully aware of some of the very same problems we face today. And yet, in light of those same problems, Jesus himself, then his disciples and followers, Peter, guys like Paul, they write and they give this same message of a gracious, loving, merciful God who wants to heal and redeem this world. And yet, it's a God who will not overlook sin. He paid for sin, he cleanses our sin, but he doesn't overlook sin. And there is justice and judgment coming. Friends, what I hope you see as we begin to move into the New Testament is that the New Testament is synchronized with the Old Testament. The New Testament is the culmination It's the logical conclusion of the Old Testament story that tells us all about the journey of God's people and the need for humanity to have a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And so as we start to look ahead now, I want to talk about one of the important things that the Old Testament reveals. Not only does it reveal God's character, friends, it reveals our need for God. And it does this in some unique ways, all right? So I want to remind you of some things now. The story of the Old Testament is that all humanity needs to be reconciled to God. And we see throughout the Old Testament patterns where God's people, it starts with just kind of all of humanity, right? From Adam and Eve to Noah, we see this dramatic fall in those early days away from God, who he was, what he was like, and violence filled the earth. People took advantage of each other and they didn't know or walk with the Lord. Yet through Noah, God brought about not only judgment, but he brought about redemption and grace and mercy and there was a fresh start for God's people. Then that same theme that we see developed in those first 11 chapters of Genesis, now we see them presented Um, through Abraham and his family that becomes the nation of Israel. And while much of the Old Testament is, is God dealing directly with Abraham and the people of Israel, it's made clear that God's plan is still to redeem the whole world. He wants to use His people through Abraham's family to bless and touch all of humanity. This is what we saw back in Genesis chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 3. When God first calls Abraham, at that point he was still known as Abram before God changed his name. And in Genesis 12, verse 1, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's plan was to bless all nations through Abraham's family and the nation of Israel. That's God's heart. It was his heart early on for Adam and Eve to experience life with him forever. Then the brokenness of humanity came along, and we have a picture of God's judgment and redemption in Noah. And then through the entire Old Testament, as we read the story of Abraham's family and the development of the nation of Israel, we see God's people. We see them hearing from Him, learning from Him, following Him, and we see them failing along the way as well. Think of all the circumstances that they go through. And and I hope what you see in this is that in all circumstances, God's people still needed a Savior. The fact that God had had shown up and talked to Abraham, that he later shows up and talks to, to Moses, works through the life of King David, worked through all of the prophets. In all of these seasons, God was loving them. He was offering them a way back to him. But the pattern remained. People wandered. And no matter the circumstances, they struggled. Think about this. They were blessed through Abraham, yet Abraham struggled and wandered. They were saved from famine and given a safe place in Egypt through Joseph. And yet then that turns into slavery and this long period of slavery. Then they're rescued from slavery and they're led out and a nation is born. And as Moses leads them out becoming this new nation, they then struggle as they wander through the wilderness. And yet God protects them during that whole time. They come out of the wilderness and they move into the promised land. And from there, God appoints for them leaders, judges, kings, prophets that would lead them. And yet so often, those leaders even failed them. Then ultimately, they're taken into captivity and after all those years in captivity and exile, they return back to the land. And friends, if you're like me, as we've been reading through the Old Testament, one of the things that you see through this roller coaster ride that God's people go on is that no matter what the circumstances are, in times of famine, slavery, captivity, in times of great success, um, peace in the land, financial security, Um, seasons of victory and growth. In all of those various seasons, there was still a need that had not been met. God's people stumbled and struggled and did not live righteously. In circumstances both good and bad, we see them struggling with righteous living. They're regularly called out over and over and over again. They're called to repentance They refuse to be faithful to God and judgment is predicted. And friends, the list of how they struggled, you could just read this list and we see it on full display still today. They struggled from everything from issues of of justice. They failed to take care of widows and orphans. They failed to care for the poor and the foreigner. And God called them out for that. Go read just some of this week's Um, prophets who were calling them out on those very issues. They struggled with greed and pride. They became forgetful and apathetic, and they lived selfishly. Even when they were being quote-unquote faithful, often God's calling them out for doing something externally, and yet their hearts are far from Him. And so it's really just a half-hearted way, religious way of following Him not living in true right relationship with God. And regularly, we see them called out for sexual immorality and even for following after other gods. You know, when you hear idols in the Old Testament, um, don't just think of kind of bowing down in front of some like golden image. Yes, that was a reality in their world. Those images represented something. They represented broken ways of looking at the world for success, comfort. It was was putting your trust and your faith in a certain way of living, and those idols represented that. And friends, a lot of those same broken ways of, of looking for satisfaction in this world were susceptible to today. Now, the reason I'm highlighting this is these are God's people. This is Abraham's family. These are the people who are supposed to be God's representatives to the world that's in need. God wanted to bless the entire world through His people. And yet what often happens is the exact reverse. It's rare that Israel was actually able to be a light to the nations. Usually instead, the nations influenced them when it should have been the other way around. And so a lot of the history that we see in the Old Testament, that kind of goes beyond Israel and God's people. When we look at the other nations around them, we see that they influence God's people instead of the other way around. We see them influence them culturally. Israel regularly got drawn into what the people around them were living like. And so they got drawn into pagan culture idolatry, sexual immorality, even drawn into child sacrifice at times. Friends, it's heartbreaking how influenced they were by the culture. We also see them influenced politically. Israel was prone to aligning themselves with foreign nations in order to have a sense of power, in order to have some protection, and to receive some prosperity and economic success. And God looks at the way that they align with the people around them, and He calls them out. He says, you're going to be judged by those very people you're aligning with. And so one of the themes over and over again in the Old Testament is we see this fallout where the pagan nations that needed the light that God's people were supposed to shine, instead those pagan nations influenced them and then ultimately led to Israel's downfall. They were used, abused, and even at times destroyed by these very nations they were meant to be a light to. There were rare examples of hope in the Old Testament where we see people of another culture who were meant to be drawn to the Lord coming in for hope. But we do see glimpses of that. We see it in the story of Rahab and Ruth as just a couple of examples. And you know, one of the beautiful things I love about those examples is in both Rahab and Ruth, we have a glimpse of God's redemption plan. That there was a need for a savior. Israel, his chosen people, needed a Messiah who would purify and cleanse their sins and who would right the wrongs that were happening in the world. And he was meant to be not just a, a Messiah for the Jewish people, but a light to all the nations. And much of what we see in the Old Testament is a picture of not only God's promise of this coming Messiah to his people but a promise that he would touch all of the nations. And the glimpses that we see in the stories of Rahab and Ruth, foreigners who were brought in and chose God to be their God, they are now in the line of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you as you read Matthew this week and you see the genealogies, there's some pretty cool pictures in there when we see some of the names of the people that God chose to be in the line of the Messiah, even foreigners. Friends, here's the deal. I hope that you see kind of big picture in the Old Testament, our great need, humanity's great need for a Savior. But friends, I also hope that in this, you might see clearly a little bit better the day and age in which we are living. As the church, as followers of Jesus, we've now been grafted into God's family. We have this heritage now of being Being the chosen ones of God. He loves us. He's for us. We are His people. And yet, friends, if we are not careful, we are susceptible to some of the very same problems that happened in the life of Israel in the Old Testament. We can be more impacted by the culture around us than us impacting a world in need. And we can align ourselves with powers and influencers that are not godly for the sake of power, protection, influence, success. Or we can sacrifice our morality and we can decide that, well, maybe God doesn't have as high of a standard as I thought. Maybe Jesus' grace and mercy meant that some of these things aren't actually that big of a deal. It's just not the truth. It's not right for us, the church. And friends, we are misrepresenting God as the light that we're called to be to a world in need when we compromise ourselves and when we minimize the things that God calls wrong. It's equally important for us that we carry the message of our great need for a Savior Jesus. It's equally important that we carry the message that He is a God of grace and mercy and love and that God doesn't just look the other way with sin. And friends, as we move into the New Testament and we get a clear picture of Jesus, one of the things that we need to see is that the cross tells us not only how much God loves us, but how seriously He takes sin, how big of a deal it was for Him to deal with sin and its consequences. And therefore, we have this great hope in Jesus because He has dealt with the seriousness of sin, and He loves us, and He offers His grace and His mercy to us. And so as we kind of kind of come to a conclusion here looking back at the Old Testament, um, I want us to be reminded of some of the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. We read some really cool ones even this week. I hope you caught these. Um, in the book of Zechariah, three examples of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when He came. In Zechariah 9.9, that's where we see the prophecy that Jesus would come riding in on a donkey. And that's just what he did when he rode into Jerusalem a week before his death. In Zechariah 12.10, it describes our Savior being pierced for us, just as Jesus was pierced when he was hung on the cross. And in 13.7, it's actually, Jesus quotes this passage where it says that the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. And that's just what happened on the night that he was betrayed. Even his closest friends were scattered when our great shepherd was taken and was struck for us. Listen, Jesus' first coming was described in the Old Testament. Him coming as this suffering servant, the one who would lay down his life on our behalf, the ultimate sacrifice. There are other Old Testament prophecies about our Messiah that have not happened yet. And that's another reason the Old Testament is significant for you and for me. Because the Old Testament talks about An eventual second return, a second coming. It's the future day of the Lord. Um, We read about this in Zephaniah this week as an example, but throughout the Old Testament, especially in some of the prophets, we see this reference to the day of the Lord. And it's this coming day when the Lord is not coming as a suffering servant or as a sacrifice. He's now coming as the king, and he's coming to make the wrongs right. He's coming to rescue and redeem his faithful ones and He's coming to bring justice and judgment. I want you to see a glimpse of this in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What a beautiful picture of God returning and being in our midst. Verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Friends, the story of the Old Testament is about the struggle of God's people and the need for all people everywhere. To be reconciled to God. The Old Testament gives a clear vision of the coming Messiah and our need for Him. He comes, and He rescues, and He saves, and He redeems. And we're about to get an awesome glimpse of that as we move into looking at the life of Jesus. And I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus says and what He does, because He communicates all about this same God, His glorious Father. Him, the perfect reflection of the Father, as God's only Son, gracious, merciful, loving, faithful. He's going to do what He said He's going to do for you and for me to redeem this world. He promises it. But friends, if you pay attention to the words of Jesus, and then later in the New Testament to His followers, they also made it clear He is returning again one day. And there will be a day when God rights all of the wrongs. And so friends, may we turn to Him and look to Him while there is time to do so, to repent, to see our need for a Savior, and see Jesus as the ultimate solution to what we need. May we have a clear vision of what it looks like to live by faith. So friends, I want to take about five minutes and and kind of close with this because I love this. In our reading this week, We saw a really important passage in Habakkuk chapter two. Habakkuk, I've always loved trying to say that word. I feel like I'm gonna mess it up every time, but Habakkuk, what a fun word to say. This prophet has this very personal interaction and conversation with the Lord. In the midst of just these few chapters, he's given a picture of what God is really up to and what he's inviting us into. And, And he wants Habakkuk to capture this vision of hope and the ultimate redemption that God is working in our lives. And he invites Habakkuk to trust him. Check this out. This is chapter two, verses two through four. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Listen, God is saying to him there is a vision that if we can catch it clearly, if we can see it as sure as written on like stone tablets, even though it seems like it's delaying, it's taking a long time, there's moments where I could lose heart. If I will hold on and trust to the vision that God has laid out, it will not fail. And so the question is, will I get kind of lost along the way, puffed up in myself and my own way of thinking, or will I hold on in faith? And in faith, I am made righteous in God's sight. This beautiful picture, it's such a New Testament sounding concept, isn't it? Yeah, because it's God's ultimate plan, that we would put our faith and trust in Him, that He would make us righteous, that He would redeem and rescue our lives, and that He will be the faithful one, even as we have to endure. Friends, in this season, just like all other seasons, there are things that we cannot see clearly. There are times where we might feel like, I don't know where to turn. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what the right path is to follow. And God's invitation always remains the same. Trust me. Trust me. I will fulfill my promises. I will be your rescue and your savor. I will be your firm foundation. I'm the one who's gracious, loving, faithful, merciful, And I will right all the wrongs. And this passage in Habakkuk, it echoes back to something God said about Abraham. You can go check out Genesis chapter 15, read verses one through six. God's having this dialogue with Abraham where Abraham's doubting Lord, are your promises really gonna come true? I'm getting old now, I haven't had a son yet. And God says, Listen, I am going to fulfill what I said. You're gonna have a son, and look up at the stars. Your descendants are gonna be like that, so many that you won't be able to number them. God called Abraham to have vision for something that didn't seem real, that seemed impossible, and God said of Abraham what he just said here to Habakkuk. Look at this, let's just read verse six, Genesis 15, verse six. And he believed the Lord, so Abraham had faith, and God counted it to him, as righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith. That's our father Abraham of old. That's what God was saying to Habakkuk and the writers of the New Testament. Paul specifically picked up and used Habakkuk's verse. He quotes it in three different places. He quotes it in Romans. He quotes it in Galatians. And if if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews, he quotes it in Hebrews. But I want to read the one from Romans to you because I think it It summarizes everything we've been talking about this morning. That God's people, Israel, need a Savior. That the whole world, God wants to save all of humanity through Jesus. And that, friends, if we can have a vision for what God is up to and put our faith in Him, we'll be saved. Check this out. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God, for in it, sorry, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Friends, as we've been reading through the Old Testament, we've seen this incredible picture that God is up to something in the midst of the brokenness of this world, the fallenness of all humanity the struggles and trials that we all face, even as God's people struggle with remaining faithful and following Him with their whole heart, not externally, not religiously, but truly and deeply with their whole heart as His people. In the midst of all those struggles and the great need in humanity, the thing that stands out through the Old Testament is that God is up to something. He loves the world that He made. He loves the people that he made in his own image. And he wants to rescue and save and redeem all of us. And his ultimate plan is found in Jesus Christ, the coming King, the Messiah, who's both the suffering servant, the ultimate sacrifice, and our eternal King. May we see him clearly today. May we hold on in faith in all seasons and I'm praying for all of us, friends, as we dive in to the New Testament together, that God would give us vision to see Jesus for who He is. That if, we, if maybe we don't know Him, that our hearts would be captured by Him and we give our lives to Him. And maybe for those of us who do know Him, if we've struggled a little bit along the way, man, if we've gotten apathetic, if we've gotten off course, if, we, if we've compromised with the culture around us, if we've lowered the standard of what we believe to be right, maybe if we've compromised just in trusting things beyond the Lord for our security and our salvation, may we hear Him lovingly coming alongside us to correct us, to invite us back to Himself, to hold on to the purity of who He says He is, and to know that we can trust Him to be faithful in our lives now and always. That's my prayer for us. Friends, I love you. I'm praying for you. Let's close out this morning by just praying together and inviting Jesus to come and reveal Himself to us. Show us things we might need to see about Him and about ourselves and about our place in this world right here today. And may He fill us with faith that we can hold on and trust Him and receive righteousness from God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. God, we thank you that you are patient with us, that you are slow to anger, that you abound in love, that you're a God of grace and mercy. Jesus, thank you that you want to purify and cleanse and redeem our lives. Thank you that you have paid the ultimate price for us as our great sacrifice. Lord, thank you that you are now our King, now and always. God, would you help us maybe to see where we might be today? Lord, if there's, if there's anything that you want to highlight in our lives personally, as we just look back at the Old Testament and the ups and downs of the roller coasters that your people faced in that season, Lord, if you want to maybe help us see where we're at right here, right now, and that we would hear your gentle voice of conviction that would draw us back to you, God, that we could surrender broken thinking in our lives, Lord, we could acknowledge places where we've compromised and wandered from you, and Lord, by by trusting you to forgive us and change us and heal us, God, that by faith we would be made whole, we would be healed, we would be made righteous, and Lord, now kind of looking ahead, God, we just commit our hearts to you, As we dive into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we look at the life of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just pray we could see you so clearly and so powerfully. Would we see you in your fullness, in all of your glory, for who you are, for what you have done, for what you are currently doing in our lives, and for what you have promised to do in the future. And may we be filled with faith to hold on and walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you, friends. Looking forward to worshiping with you guys next Sunday. I hope that you'll join us out at the Lord's Chapel at 9.30 next Sunday morning. And man, jump in. If you haven't been reading with us, jump into the New Testament this week. You got time to get in gear. We're starting on Tuesday with the book of Matthew. Jump in with us. For those of you that have been been sticking it out with the Old Testament, man, Hold on, hang in there, and let's celebrate together as we watch Jesus come alive in our hearts and lives. Love you, friends, and see you soon.